0: Good morning. morning. Happy Easter to you all. I feel so proud of our church right now. That BBC video was amazing. The only thing um, about that is the actual thing is even better because you get to feel things and be in that environment and energy. And so I want to invite you to think about that. If you are here and you have kids or you have neighbors who have kids or friends, that's a really fun, enriching time. And I think it's really worth uh, participating in. And if you want to volunteer, no volunteers ever regretted being a part of that. Just a really good time. Uh, and then um, I'm so proud of our band. They did such a nice job. Really thankful for all that they do for us. Uh, today, uh, right now, we're going to have our storytelling time. And just a, a word about why we do that. A big part of it is we want all of us to feel connected to each other. One of our big values is belong, that we belong to one another, that life is meant to be lived, sort of walking together as part of a community that knows each other. Uh, Another thing about that for me is that I really want us to be a church uh, that's broken openly. We all are broken. That's Just Without a shadow of a doubt, every single person in this room has struggles and we go through ups and downs and life is hard, but we want to sort of unmask ourselves as a church and be openly that way so that we can support each other and do away with shame and uh, be a real support system. Uh, I think over the years, I've really have overestimated how that can happen in the short run but have really underestimated how much of that can happen in the long run. And so that's part of our long game for this church, that as we tell stories and as we learn to be transparent and vulnerable, that we create a culture that allows people to be truly who they are and not shy away from church when you're going through a tough time, but actually come closer, that God is your friend uh, in time of trouble um, and need. So that's what really storytelling is about. And today we have an amazing young woman telling the story today, and she truly is a woman after my own heart because she loves ramen noodles, as I do. And just to prove that, I I hiked Mount Sai yesterday, it was nine miles, and at the top I had lugged up 20 pounds of gear so that I could make ramen up at the top. I did. And I even cracked two raw eggs in there, it was amazing. And so Eden, come on up and tell us your story.
1: Hi, I'm Eden, and today I will be your storyteller. Have you ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? And have you ever seen it, but still don't believe it? That's my story. For a while, my family has gone on vacation in Winthrop, out in Eastern Washington, at a place called Sun Mountain Lodge. Three years ago, when I was in second grade, I started playing basketball and the season was going to start after that vacation. My dad brought my new basketball in case we were going to play basketball in less than 10 degree weather. (laughs) That never happened. Well, when we were halfway home, I asked where my basketball was. We destroyed the car looking for it, but no one could find it. I had to buy a new one. This is what the ball looks like now. very dirty. <laughs> the next year we went to Canada instead for a ski trip, then the year after that we returned to Sun Mountain Lodge, but this time we stayed in a cabin by the lake, two miles away from the lodge where we stayed last time. I was excited because we, we could make snowboards. We stuck icicles in the, ice, in the f- fort wall so if anyone tried climbing over, they would be impaled. <laughs> Then we had the idea of using flat sheets of ice to fortify the wall. Like Snow Architects, we had the brilliant idea of walking on thin ice over the lake to get our necessities. But then we saw a ball in the lake. It was near shore, so we took the risk and walked closer. The ball was a blue and green basketball that looked like the one I had lost at the lodge two years ago. It was clean and full of air. There were letters on the ball, and when I got closer, I saw that they spelled out my name. (laughs) E-D-E-N. I couldn't believe it. My dad walked up and pulled this ball out of the lake with little effort, we all walked back to, to the cabin in shock. This couldn't be my ball from two years ago. If it had rolled down the hill the day we lost it, it would have been dirty and inflated. Also, the lodge was two miles away from the lake. We thought maybe someone had claimed the ball from the lost and found and it ended up in the lake. But the Lodge's lost-and-found policy was that all items left unclaimed for six months are donated to the community center in TWISP. (laughs) It had been two years, and this ball couldn't have been in this lake for two years. It looked like it had been lost recently. So, it's Easter today. When we celebrate Jesus' resurrection after he died and was put in a tomb, never to come back, but he did. Some people didn't believe it. Even some of his friends were afraid at the sight of his return. That day by the lake, I saw my ball and still didn't believe it. Sometimes I have a hard time believing it still. This crazy story about my basketball is like the resurrection story of Jesus, but of course Jesus is into basketball. This story is the weirdest and mind-opening experience for me. I don't know how the ball got there. It was just there. I don't have everything figured out about Jesus either. This experience lets me know that not everything has to be solved. Not everything in the world is able to be solved. Thank you. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Revelation. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter 5, verses 12 to 14 in the New International Version. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning again. I think I'm supposed to say this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed he is. How does that happen? How does rising happen? Uh, this is a little bit of a quirk in my own brain. Uh, growing up, I grew up watching this commercial of an, uh, an older lady who had fallen to the floor. And then she would say, I've fallen and... So you are familiar with that also. And I always think about this commercial on Easter Sunday. (laughs) Our brains are just funny like that. But how does rising happen unless there was a fall? How does life happen unless maybe there was a death? You know, you think about Easter and you think about Easter as sort of this miraculous, unique Uh, once in a human history kind of event at best. And you don't think about it as a normal pattern of life. But if you start spending some time thinking about why Easter happens and the pattern of Easter, you begin to see it everywhere. You begin to understand that this is part of the pattern of life. That life results from death. And often what we experience is that the life that comes from death is better, deeper, truer, more robust, more valuable, more worthy than the life that was prior to its death. So think about some of the changes that have happened in your own life. Think about friendships that were somehow able to make it through conflict. And if you are able to get on the other side of conflict, what you have is so valuable, so much more precious than what it was prior to the conflict. Think about your marriage. Think about how hard some seasons in your marriage have been. And how if you are willing to stay at the table and work through it, somehow through the valley of the shadow of death, on the other side of it, The sun feels amazing. This is the pattern of life. We know that our planet even exists because there was a star that died and it gave birth to our planet. You know from science that you are literally, every single molecule in your body is made of stardust. The pattern of our world is somehow life through death. And if you've been through anything, if you've lived a minute on planet earth, you know that this is a powerful pattern that we see. It's even true in the things that we create. If you ever want to read a story that's worth reading, if you want to watch a movie that's worth watching, there's always some cycle, some pattern of life that emerges from death. We call it redemption. We call it poetic justice. But until there is this narrative, we don't feel satisfied because it doesn't resonate, it doesn't ring true to how life works. And not only that, not only that, but it is the great hope of our life that redemption is true, that life does come from death. So then you turn this same kind of logic and rationale and experience in life back onto the story of Easter? That somehow Jesus rose from the dead? Is that so incredulous? Does that seem so impossible that somehow the resurrection happened? That's your personal hope every time you experience something difficult. That flat tire you had, that traffic jam, that, that bill that went unpaid, that relationship that broke, the conflict, the trouble, the hard times, the surprise. We have some sense of hope because underneath all of our longings for perfection, there is even a deeper longing for redemption. Now, Christians believe, if you are a Christian here today, we believe that this life doesn't just happen on its own. We believe That life emerges from death because God is a God who intervenes. That Jesus' body would have laid in the tomb unless the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. And that the same pattern is true and possible for us in our own personal lives and in our human history. Because that same Spirit is somehow in the earth somehow in your life, somehow a part of your everyday reality. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead allows you to trust God, trust that this pattern is going to be real even for you. Jesus trusted God by dying on the cross. And that trust opened the door to what we celebrate today, the resurrection. That principle of life through death, of redemption, rather than total destruction. That principle is animated by the Holy Spirit. That's what Christians believe. And that's what I am asking you to consider today. The same pattern, same principle applies to this idea of power. We understand that there's a kind of demonstration of power in Easter. That there is something powerful enough to somehow reverse the tendency towards chaos and decay that we call the second law of thermodynamics. That there's this power that can intervene and reverse that pattern so that life can come from death. We believe by the same breath that somehow instead of trying to grasp at power, if we are willing to abdicate power the way Jesus did on the cross, that somehow we experience something even more precious. That wielding power somehow is less than yielding power. We look. Around in our world today, and we realize that power is corrosive. Nobody has ever, ever, ever been able to wield it successfully. That if you choose to touch power, you do it not just at the risk, but at the cost of your soul. That you cannot handle power. And we see this every day. Turn on the TV, watch the news, read the paper whatever way you connect to the world, you see the same journey that Frodo was on all over our history today. Remember Frodo's mission? To destroy the ring of power in the fires of Mount Mordor. And the temptation was to rationalize the wielding of it rather than in obedience yielding it. And it's so tempting to believe you can be the one exception to the rule. I do believe this about winning the lotto, by the way. Everything I read about tells me it's going to ruin my life, but I really sincerely believe I can handle it. I want to show you something in Scripture that I find amazing. You know, I look around everywhere, all around me, and everybody's grasping at power. Everybody's grasping at life. Nobody's learning how to die well. Nobody's learning how to yield well. And then we have Jesus to contend with. This is one of my favorite passages, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it for us because it's so appropriate for Easter. But I want you to see the phrase that I highlighted for us on the screen there. Let me read it from verse 5 to verse 11. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says this, have this attitude in yourselves. It means that we tend not to have it, so he's saying have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found, excuse me, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, for years I've read this passage and I thought, this is amazing. You know, although he was God, in spite of the fact that he was God, he was able to submit to death, abdicate life, and abdicate power. He existed in the form of God, and yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held onto. But that's not what the passage says. It's for this reason, meaning it's not in spite of the fact that Jesus was God. It's because he was God. See, if this was a normal human being, if this was me, it would say, in spite of the fact. Because that's so human. That's what humans do. We tend to grasp at power. We tend to grasp at life, at the visible, at the concrete, at the guarantee. Whatever is right before me, that's what I grasp at. But in spite of that, I would have done it. But here, for Jesus, it says, for this reason, meaning precisely because he was God. Meaning that the fact that Jesus abdicated power is evidence, proof, in fact, that Jesus is God. Because only God does that. This is a sign of divinity. And you see this in contrast to our current events. Reflect on our politics today. Reflect on all of our world leaders who have power, who wield power, who grasp at power. That's human. As Kevin would say, that's only human natural. That's from The Office, if you missed it. So it's For this reason, meaning by not grasping at power, Jesus was demonstrating that he was God. And so because he was God, for this reason, God exalted the one who was God. Jesus demonstrated his worthiness to be exalted. Jesus demonstrated his worthiness to be worshiped. If we saw a politician or a world leader today who is abdicating power, then we would say, what's wrong with that person? That person is different. That person is not like me. The same logic we see in this next passage, Mark chapter 15, verse 39. Listen, everything Jesus has said and done up to this point is about to be erased. Nothing he has done, nothing he has said is about to matter because he is being nailed to a cross. He's being identified as worthy of shame and ridicule and death and separation, not just from God, but even from man. He is the worst of the worst. And yet, a centurion, a a Roman soldier, looks up. Listen listen to what it says. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The manner in which Jesus died, even in his dying, Jesus was demonstrating that he is not like me. If I was being nailed to a cross, nobody will look up at me and go, look, he was different. Look, he's just like any one of us. Look at the blubbering mess. There is no peace, there is no trust, there is no calm. Look at all that fear. Look at all that anger. That's normal. That's human natural. And yet even the centurion looks up at Jesus, the way way he is dying, the manner in which he is dying, and says, oh my goodness, what have we done? They try to take the sign, the mocking sign, above Jesus which testified to his divinity they try to take it down and the soldiers wouldn't let him nope leave it why because i think the way he died he is not like me and we know this you know in matthew 26 they're arresting jesus he's been betrayed And uh, men with clubs and swords have surrounded him. And then Peter takes a sword. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And he tries to fight back. And then Jesus, while being arrested, rebukes Peter, who's coming to his defense, and says, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I think one angel would have been sufficient. Twelve legions of angels. The power that Jesus had is precisely what allowed him to die in the way that he died. He died as a powerful person. He died as a strong person. He died not as a human being, but as God himself. For only God could die in such a manner. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Jesus is so different, so unique compared to everything else and everyone else that has ever walked the face of the earth. And today we celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. And it's not shocking. It's not surprising. Because Jesus was God. Just look at the way he died. How could he not be risen from the dead? How can you permanently kill something so true, so good, so beautiful, so worthy? It is in the nature of truth to emerge, to rise to the top, to be exalted, to be worshipped. Jesus said, I am the truth. And surely he was. None of us here has ever seen Jesus. We have never laid our own eyes on him. But we know we want somebody like him. We, all of us, Christian or not, long for the day when beauty such as his will reign. No more bickering, no more grasping. Such power, such beauty, such humility. And I want to submit to you such love. See, Jesus wasn't abdicating power for its own sake. It wasn't some sort of, there wasn't some sort of hidden arrogance behind his abdication of power. He wasn't trying to prove a point or show himself worthy of worship. He doesn't need our worship. He's not some sort of glory hog. He's not insecure. Again, he's not like me. Why did Jesus abdicate power? Not for its own sake. It wasn't some meaningless challenge he was rising up to. But power, when abdicated, when yielded instead of wielded, and separated from its corruption, the form of power, the purest form of power which remains, this we call love. Power, when wielded by God, through the process of yielding, raised back from the dead, and used according to God's purpose, God's wisdom, God's truth, this is what all human beings have been clamoring for all along. This we call love. Because the purpose of power is to animate love. The reason power exists in our world it's so that love can be. That's why any leader has ever been given power. That's why if you are a parent, you have power over your kids. It's not so you can be powerful. It's so that you can use it to love. And the best way to love is not to wield it, but to yield it. To learn how to Abdicate, to die a death every day so that others can experience life. And so we come to the passage that was read for us today, Revelation chapter 5, 12 to 14. I want to read it for us again. In a loud voice, they were saying, A power that would abdicate. That power is truly worthy. You know, I was, um, as I mentioned, I was hiking yesterday and it was so beautiful. Just so beautiful. You know, I, was, I happened to be there on the top of Mount Sai just when the fog was beginning to be burned off. You know how we got that sun in the afternoon. It was just beginning to burn off the fog. And the light hit the fog in such a way that it just illuminated the whole sky. And it just there was this sort of this yellow-white light that everybody was just sort of staring at because we were just sort of under it. And I thought, my goodness, beauty itself is declaring that God is the source of beauty. It's not surprising to me that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them will lift their eyes up to God and bend their knees to God and say, amen. That just makes sense. It just makes all the sense in the world that everything has been pointing to the source of beauty, to the source of power, to the source of love, to the source of life itself. And finally, when life itself and truth itself is revealed, that we would bend our knee and worship God, of course we would do that. Of course today, Easter, of course we do this. How? Can we not? I invite you to fall down and worship the one, the only one who is truly, truly worthy. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I confess with every single person in this room that we see this pattern of life emerging from death all around us. And we want to trust you for this pattern to be true for us. So we come to you with our broken dreams and our shattered hopes. And we say, God, be alive in my life today. May may I not just view Easter from afar, but experience the power of its resurrection in my life today. We trust you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name.